This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Plato's Cave. This is a film criticism show. We are doing our second MIF special. The Melbourne International Film Festival is on and we are neck deep in it. I'm Alexandra Heller Nicholas. With me is my partner in crime, usual cave spelunker, Cerise Howard. And this week we have a special guest, Christos Cholkas, who's here to join us to talk about insane amounts of film. Ah, it is such a pleasure to be in the cave. You know, I've been been telling you I've been wanting to do this for ages. We've been wanting you to do this for ages too. So happens. (laughs) Just so happens. Thank you to, uh, can I just say a big thank you to Phoebe Squared. We love Phoebe Squared. That was amazing. The last... Few hours of maps. Just is what makes you know Triple R kind of a special home to be in. It is a bit special, isn't it? And lots of fun last week having Fee in at the forum at the Black Arts Club for MIF broadcasting live um, for the entertainment of the many, many guests at that beautiful venue, sculling wine. Yourself included. Myself included. I I did my wine (laughs) tour of duty to the to the to the chilled sounds of Fee. It was good. That's good. Let's talk movies. Uh, there's so much to talk about. I almost don't know where to begin. So perhaps we can start picking up where we left off last week with our guest last week, Emma Westwood, uh, Chevalier, um, which we were talking about. Christos, that leads us to a film that you and I both saw. Go, go, go. Look, um, on Saturday, was it? Uh, yes, it was Saturday night, Saturday evening. Uh, we both saw Suntan, which is... Uh, the second feature, I think, from Arieris Papadimitropoulos, who a few years ago, um, uh, 2011, did a film called Wasted Youth, which um, uh, screened at the, the film festival, and I, I really liked it. I think I like this film even more. Uh, a connection with Ch- Chevalier is that um, the lead role is played by Makis Papadimitriou, who plays... Um, Costis, who is, and he's in Chevalier as well. He's, he's the, he, I, he won my heart in Chevalier. Man, he is my, he, he's my, my friend. If I, if you told me two weeks ago, if you showed me a photo with this guy and said this is the new love of your life, I would have been doubtful. But two films in, and I'm sold. This is an extraordinary performer. There is so much going on. I mean, it's it's hard to pick somebody from Chevalier who really goes a, a, a beyond what the bulk of the cast in that particular film yeah. do, but I think he does. I mean, I think he just put in an extraordinary performance. And um, Suntan is a film like nothing I've ever seen. Um, even for the so-called Greek, you know, weird Greek wave, I think this film is, um, it is really, really doing something quite extraordinary. It is. Um, just to... Um, I'll say two things uh, at the get-go. One is that it is going to be screening again as part of the Greek Film Festival, uh, which is nationwide. And it's going to happen uh, between the 12th and the 23rd of October. Oh, lovely. It's filmed. In Melbourne. It's screening again at MIF on Saturday ah, the 13th fantastic. as well. So this is, this is our call to get... Mm-hmm. I mean, we can describe the plot. It's a, it's a, it's a doctor, who's a 42-year-old doctor who is sent to an, an island where he's sort of the local GP. And in the winter months, not a lot going on. In the summer months, however, the young, beautiful people come. And uh, he falls into a, a, a youth trap, I guess one would... Would be a good way to describe it. Uh, it uh, look, so many things I think are happening in in Suntan. Uh, uh, so he falls. Um, there's a, a young woman called Anna, and she's a Greek woman, uh, I think from Athens, 
and she comes into his surgery. He's the, the only doctor on the island. Antiparos is a really small but very, very touristy island. And she comes in with a group of friends who are, I think, quite deliberately unspecified in terms of where they're from. They could be anywhere in Western Europe. They could be Americans. They, they could be English. And uh, they are both mocking. Uh, they're much younger than Costis, the, the character played by Papa Dimitriou. And he becomes obsessed with with Anna. And I, I should say that, we're, you know, we're talking about his performance, but I actually think Elie uh, Tringu is also really, really good um, as Anna. She does something, you know, she could just play this character as a bit of a flake, and she doesn't. She does. She, she takes it quite seriously, and, and that makes the drama, and I think there's a real tragedy in the film, even more potent. It looks fantastic. It's um, it's beautiful. I think on paper it really comes across almost like a kind of Anne-Margaret kitten with a whip, kind of, a, you know, the young femme fatale and the the kind of supposedly, you know, the the, the, the 40-something-year-old man at the, the, you know, forced by his hormones, you know, forced by his his lust for young women into these situations that he perhaps wouldn't normally find himself. This film really transcends those kind of yeah. simplistic um, concepts and I think it does it in really extraordinary ways and very powerful ways. I mean, this is one of those films where there are scenes that you will never forget. That's that's um, really true. And I, I think, you know, on one... And it's, it's been a film that has been... You know, I've been waking up every morning and thinking about it, which is, a you know, clearly a sign of a really good work um and on one level and a really important level it is about this kind of masculine masculinity in crisis Mm -hmm. you know that how does this man navigate this world of changing sexuality and changing gender and um his uh role in it and his response is to to get enraged and i think that is something that is um that the film explores um Diligently and really well, and but um, you know, you, you use the phrase. What was it? Weird, come about the new oh, Greek. Oh, the cinema. Greek. Is that, is that the yeah, they have been calling it the, the weird, weird wave, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that is uh, a term that anybody involved in it would actually no, use. No, I, I think it's like a very not, variety kind of Hollywood reporter, yeah. kid think, gloves kind of term. I think mm. it was really interesting because I have you know, in the way you do these days is after I saw Chevalier and I saw Suntan, I I just went on the web and and uh, was reading reviews and commentary on them, and I think. One thing about the weird wave is that in Greek cinema, I think there's partly been a reaction against, um, even though those all these filmmakers um, um, have also said how much they admire someone like Angelopoulos and Nikos Kondoros, who are, but they, they, they've been like this kind of burden in terms of being a young filmmaker in Greece mm-hmm. because they, that, that's what is understood as Greek cinema. And I think one of the things that... Uh, the, uh, Lanthimos is a, another, you know, um, uh, director that you can name about this. Is that I think they've been looking towards surrealism and Bunuel and that kind of cinema. And Absolutely, and partly as a response to um, to the the weight of that tradition in Greek cinema. But the other thing is that I think Suntan, and I've been thinking about this just over the last twenty four hours. In a way, you can't... It doesn't deal with a crisis, and you could say the economic crisis that has completely crippled that country. But on another level, I just was thinking about it this morning, that this character, you know, he's... On one on one side, he is being asked to look after the islanders, who are the traditional Greeks. 
who make their living from the tourist trade. Mm -hmm. And he is enticed by this younger world, this Western European world, this uh, cosmopolitan world, and his attempt to move into that world and try to negotiate that world means that he falls apart. And I think without ever mentioning the crisis, I think that, for me, Suntan is a film that very, very much is about the crisis. That's, a, that's, a, that's an extraordinary reading because there is implicit to that a kind of violence, yes, um, symbolic and, and quite literal, but also I think the point that you mentioned earlier, Christos, about not quite knowing where all of these kids are from. They're this sort of melange of different places and slightly different accents. And that's different, right. Yeah, just they all kind of appear in this one place. It's, I mean, that's it's it's an extraordinary film. I'm going to pick up the Buñuel lead there because he was very good friends and a huge influence on a director called Arturo Ripstein, who had a, has a film playing um, at MIF called Bleak Street. This is a Spanish-Mexican co-production. Um, I was lured to this because. I'm an idiot. It was a film about... <laughs> I just saw the words midget luchadors and I was like, I'm in, I'm in. I didn't realise that it was Ripstein, whose work I know he has been working since the 60s, very uh, close friends with Bunuel, uh, strongly, very kind of similar aesthetic in a way, very kind of driven social vision through, I guess, a kind of dark absurdist almost... You know, uh, practice. Um, this film is called Bleak Street. It's not mucking around. This is an extraordinary movie. It is based on a real... Uh, it's not a true crime movie, but it is based on a, a real-life event where two midget, uh, midget luchadors were murdered. Um, and it follows that. This is a beautiful film and a very dark film. It's got lots of long, long, long takes. Each Each scene is one long, long take. This is classic, bleak, Hispanic Baroque... Um, it's just an extraordinary film. I would definitely recommend that people get to see We had a great conversation about this film the other night, but I suspect <laughs> we can't have it again because it might involve spoilers, but it involved another salacious element yes, to the I, I narrative. Yes, I use the um, words midget luchadors, <laughs> yeah, not in term. Yes, yes, and this is how they refer to in the film. Yes. Um, mm. Yeah, this is a, an outrageous film and a very, very beautiful very dark film series i'm assuming you've seen beautiful dark things because that's what you do yeah but i actually want to stick with this bonwellian connection for the moment because uh, i'm one to to um jump on a segue when i, I see one <laughs> just, just floating about there um and i mean last week it was mermaid somehow we strung together the first 20 minutes or so of this show <laughs> finding mermaid connections from one film to the next that was pre-splash i believe pre the, sp- pre the announcement mm. that channing tatum will be in the daryl hannah role in a new splash which is uh um, do we know you know, which is we, welcome. We don't know who's the True. Tom Hanks role. Uh, Tom, oh, Tom Hanks, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> that, that Alex my is my dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not Tom Hanks. Spoilers, <laughs> but, um, it's, it just isn't. But no, with this whole uh, sticking with things, Bunwellian, uh, you know, he's a, a key name dropped uh, in this unexpected but very welcome focus on films from a Barcelona school from the 1960s, which I knew nothing about prior to this festival and now I've seen three of the films um, and I, I feel a little more au fait. I have no idea quite what the out, output extended to. Were, were there many films? Were there more than the six or seven in this retrospective? I, I, I hanker for a, a day when um, a Myth catalogue might have some essays and something a little more uh, rich to really get my teeth into so I know where a retrospective like this comes from other than that, well, I know it came from the Rotterdam Film Festival and it's travelling. But I'd really like to know a lot more. Seeing the films is one thing. I, I always crave uh, 
enriching material somehow. But still, I'm grateful for the opportunity to see these films. Christos, you're about to leap in. No, no, I, I, don't, no. I, I don't want to interrupt, so I'll, but I'll, it, it's something about what you just said mm. that um, after I, I will return yeah. to it. I won't forget. Yeah, let's. let's. I mean, I'll, I'll just mention the three that I've seen briefly before we come mm. to... I think you, I, I get a sense that you're probably uh, simpatico in this, that you'd like some stuff to sink your teeth into as well, reading-wise. Aum... Um, uh, uh, so named after the sound of the universe. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of cosmic sort of um, goings on in these films, or at least pretensions to, or at least jokey pretensions to, Bonwellian level pretensions to cosmic understandings of the universe, or at least pricking the bourgeoisie. A uh, <laughs> bit of both, somewhere in between. Aum and Fatah Morgana are both very playful films. Aum has an ex Tarzan actor, an actor actually played Tarzan, is he Lex? Fuck. Yes, in the lead role. And what he is interested in is um, he's despairing of acting. He's having a major existential crisis. So he would like to transmigrate or simply migrate his soul into that, uh, into a, the body of a doll. Um, and then some people come to try to rescue him from the, his cage within a doll, apparently. And it, it's bonkers and very slapsticky and very 60s and the camera's swirling every which way. The montage is very experimental and it's beautiful and mad. And similarly, Fatima Morgana, uh, com- completely mad. And, and just, um, it is its own weird wave that I never knew existed from the 60s parallel to the French new wave, the Czechoslovak new wave, all these other new waves of the 60s. Um, and then I saw just last night Action, which was of a almost whole different other character, save for two sequences where films were viewed within some sort of apparatus within a pinball parlour. And these films are very Melies like these little short films within this film that was full of lofty pretensions to paralleling uh, the myth of Diana found bathing in a river by Action, who's some um, uh, masculinity in crisis type, <laughs> uh, but played by the main actor from Brisson's Pickpocket. And I didn't place him at first, and right. I needed a, a friend to help remind me just why he was so familiar and also why he didn't look like he was acting, because he had followed the Brisonian model. He was a Brisonian model. Um, and, uh, you know, a really weighty, heavy film, but still extremely playful in those two sequences. And I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to see the rest of them. But I want to know more, Christos. I want to know more. What I was um, what I was thinking when you were talking about that, Cerise, is um, almost the, just the other day. I, I, you know, um, so for listeners who haven't been to Mona, the um, gallery in in Hobart, which I, I love, and on their, um, you know, the um, the device that you get when you enter that gallery, there there is a way of just kind of going through the phone, call it what you like, and actually getting to essays and getting to text that places the work in a historical, cultural, um, uh, intellectual context. And I just, I know this is a difficult thing to do, and I know MIF staff are working flat out in, in what they're doing, but I do think that sometimes the social media stuff can can be a little bit shallow, as kind of, whereas... I mean, I think now so many of us are going into the theatres, we're using the art devices to get art, to, to show our tickets, that you could do that. Because what I would like to know about this school is what... Because, you know, Spain was a fascist dictatorship when these films were made. So mm. was surrealism. 
a way of being able to create work and and maybe talk about culture in a way that you couldn't through realist work. I mean, were these films even uh, legitimised by the regime? Were they allowed? How did they exactly. fit How in? How were they funded? The, yeah. Who subsidised them? Were they, like the Czechoslovak New Wave films, sometimes funded by a repressive regime only to be banned immediately, but at least the work got made and we got to see it years later? All of this stuff I'd love to know. And is, are they actually Spanish films or are they Catalan? I don't know. Free Triple R. I'm going to talk about some other remarkable women who were influenced by the radical spirit of the time, particularly in regards to Black Lives Mattering. There's a film playing called Losing Ground as part of the Gaining Ground series um, that I'd never seen before. This was uh, this is a film by. Uh, I've got her name here and I've forgotten. I'm going to just talk about the Gaining Ground program, actually, while I dig out this information. Sleepwalk by Sarah Driver um, is an extraordinary film. She uh, is sadly known mostly as Jim Jarmusch's partner. We should really be the other way around on this. We should really know Jim Jarmusch as Sarah Driver's partner. Sleepwalk is a magical, magical film. Um, Sleepwalk uh, is... I mean, it's just this kind of magical urban fairy tale I guess set in New York I, I can't quite it's a, it's about a woman who translates Japanese uh, sorry Chinese um, nursery rhymes into English and there's this sort of I guess a kind of curse that happens to these urban New Yorkers it's a very early film uh, it's the first one with Tony Todd from Candyman very very early uncredited role by a young man called Steve Buscemi um, this is a film that you have to absolutely see Losing Ground is the film that I was talking about um, it is directed by a woman called Kathleen Collins um, it is an extraordinary film. It's playing again on Saturday. Um, if you get to see that, you absolutely should. Girlfriends by Claudia Wilde. Which I have... Do you know, Alex, oh I have been God. wanting to see that film for close to 25 years. So I'm really excited it's in the program because Go- I've heard so much about it. Girlfriends is a really spe- really special film. Um, a lot of people seeing it at Mir for like, oh, girls. Girls has heritage. But I think that it's... Um, the influence of Girlfriends goes far, far broader than that. Claudia Wilde went on to do a lot of work on a TV series that was very popular in, I think, the 80s and 90s called... Maybe 90s, called 30-something. Right. And I think that that is a... I mean, it's very zeitgeisty to a certain generation, um, but I think it's actually broadly been forgotten. And in a way, I think that that is really a, a stepping stone towards this sort of HBO television that we kind of take for granted now. Um, but Girlfriends, you're in for a treat. That's oh, a really special that film. Um, and Smithereens, Susan Settleman's 1982 film Smithereens. I just want, I would just buy everybody a ticket to go and see that. She's more famous, of course, for Desperately Seeking Susan. I, was, I wouldn't mind seeing um, that again. <laughs> Smithereens is really a kind of lo-fi, bleak version of Desperately yeah. Seeking Susan. I think I mentioned it last week yeah, as yeah. well, but mm. I kind of wanted to give it another shout-out because I just, it is playing again and I really wanted to give that a shout-out. Um, discuss. Discuss. <laughs> well, I, I, have, I haven't much to add. I have not having seen the film. All I can share is my enthusiasm for seeing it and, and for your buying me that ticket, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think of in terms of all the... Um, uh, I guess they are retrospectives. Uh, that was the one that immediately um, jumped out for me and I think is uh, is really interesting. It's... it's um, I haven't thought about... Um, I didn't realise the Claudia Wells connection with 30 something mm-hmm. but um i think there is an element of that u.s independent cin- cinema forgetting that there are actually some phenomenal um feminist works that, yeah. that came out of that late 70s period and that's kind of disappeared in the way we talk about 
um, the the new American cinema or Absolutely. the supposed new, you know, going back then. And um, you know, I I just I remember seeing at the time a very different. It wasn't you know uh, Hester Street, which mm-hmm. was um, about the uh, Jewish immigrants coming to the turn of the century, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century New York. Um, uh, again, um, feminist film kind of looking at an experience that hadn't really been represented on screen before and it's just it feels that that's one of the things that excites me about the um at the program is that reminder of how um how strong these voices were and actually how groundbreaking because i I don't think girls is possible without no absolutely and there's this idea that it's sort of born in a vacuum um and i think i mean i'm i just i'm so passionate about this gaining ground program because i think that it does real canon building work you know it puts elaine may who's been all but forgotten you know to accept for like dedicated and have, fans have, have like you myself. not just um addressed that lately yourself i've with written some a very 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 long piece somewhere. on the work Alex. of elaine may for yeah. fourth three film which you can all read online plug plug um i mean it's just lovely to have people seeing elaine may's films and talking about elaine may's films and talking about elaine may because she's an extraordinary woman these are all extraordinary women um with things to say born in flames i talked about last week and i can't I can't even begin to talk. I mean, that's just a film that could never be made again, which, you know, is just an extraordinary moment captured. Um, just these extraordinary voices. and I, I will put the... If you, I mean, I, I remember seeing uh, Born in Flames when it came out and uh, just one of those... I mean, I don't think any of us, there were four of us, uh, and none of us went to sleep that night. We just went mm-hmm. back to someone's place and stayed up, just endless coffees and endless cigarettes, just trying to work out that film and just how... Um, how good we felt and how challenged we felt. And so if um, anyone's listening and you really want to work that... I I haven't seen it again in all those years, uh, but I imagine that it will seem just as... Um, revolutionary because yeah. that's the word it's yeah it's when it's playing on wednesday night and i think the opportunity to see that in a room full of people it cannot be missed um i think it's such a it's so of its time but it's also so urgent to the now i think in yeah. so many different ways and I, there's not a lot of films i think you can say that about um or are there Oh, you can't lock that across the Is this when we start talking like about that? Jerry Lewis? I don't know. It may be, because we haven't gone there yet this week, but I've not done any Jerry catch-up viewing since last Monday, though I will tomorrow catch The Ladies' Man. We've man, got the man, big, man, yeah, we've got man. The Ladies' Man and The Nutty mm. Professor coming up this week. I went to the um, the panel on the weekend with uh, Sean McAuliffe I do and wish Alan Finney, Santa Chilaro. It was beautiful. It was Jonathan Rosenbaum after afterwards described it as performative criticism which i've never heard before i don't know if that's a thing it's a thing but it was like stand-up film crit it It was was. it was just amazing it was beautiful so much love and joy in that room and a shared you know a shared assumption yeah you know lewis might not be the most amazing human being in real life but he doesn't have to be for us to admire his craft it was extraordinary and that retrospective has pretty well every work he Made as a director, I believe, as a director. bar the one notorious film which we may never ever get oh. to see. Ah, uh, yes, the um, clown, the day the clown the cried. Day the clown. The yeah. well, and do we know what has happened with that? It's just there was a piece of footage from it that did, did it, the rounds yeah, it went online. Rogue it did this year, about ten <laughs> it minutes went rogue. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, sorry if you've talked about this before, but just you know, is it? it did Benini base Life Is Beautiful? On the no, because there was a, there was a pre-existing. Is it Jacob the Liar? Is that the name? Oh, of the, yeah. the German. Yeah. Was yeah. it even an East German film back in the day? Don't quote me on that. I'm wrong. I already know I'm wrong. Maybe, but there was a, a precursor. But this does sound like a, a 
probably another inspiration. Just, but even then, it must have been the stuff of myth because Lewis has suppressed this film since the day they called a rap on it. Yeah, he's, he speaks very has spoken very passionately about it will never see the light of day and I do, know no, I do not know yeah. what was wrong with me and when and I made this for film. For anyone curious about what's so uh, appalling about this film, it is, by reputation, a, a film in which Jerry Lewis plays a clown who somehow winds up, is it, in Auschwitz mm-hmm. and, well, tries to entertain well, he, his... He, he, what does he do there? What? I think it's, it's that life is beautiful. It's the bringing together of comedy and a Holocaust story that I think that he thought might work... Where do you get the um, clown makeup? In there? Oh, really, there are so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the least of them. <laughs> but, but, That's a central plot line, Cerise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All this uh, yeah. footage of um, this clown trying yeah. to get some makeup. Yeah, yeah, some underground network of um, Max Factor agents. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Who knows? <laughs> we will never. Will we ever know? <laughs> Now we're, we're reduced this to this. This is merging into fanfic. <laughs> yeah. this, this is a pretty it's weird a show at the best of times, but I think it's nearly starting to get quite strange. Well, it's very difficult, Alex, to talk about a film we haven't seen. <laughs> And trying to, to and it's the it. elephant in that retrospective. It is. <laughs> it's a mangle of metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but every other film he directed, I believe, is represented there, uh, and none of the films he made uh, as a star alongside Dean Martin. Alas, some might say. Look, I, 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 um, I, I will say uh, just one of those uh, lovely uh, moments uh, this week that happened at the festival. And, you know, um, you know, when you sit down and often I'll, I'll go into a movie, it's 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm there on my own and you're sitting down and sometimes you're sitting down next to someone who clearly doesn't want to talk. They just want to look at the screen and I respect that. But sometimes you're sitting down with someone and they're... Um, you know, they, they just want to get into a conversation. I was talking to this lovely uh, woman who was um, telling me that she had gone to see some of the Jerry Lewis films, hadn't ever thought about him as seriously as a, as a filmmaker, and she was, you know, just making the connections between so much of the 80s and 90s comic um, cinema. That, that strong she, legacy yeah. of his work. And yeah. I think that's... Well, one, Jim Carrey. Jim, I mean, oh, you can't you think know. of Jim Carrey. You can't think of... I mean... Um, Adam Sandler. You can't mm-hmm. actually think of all that, um, you know, uh, aspects of uh, Bill Murray, the the National Lampoon. All that cinema owes is uh, comes straight from what Jerry Lewis was doing. The they really pop. I mean, just just revisiting some of these films, things like The Ladies Man, which I think we did discuss last week as well. But that is, I mean, you can see why the French loved love these films. I mean, they are Jacques Demy films. You know that Jacques Tati. Touchy to me, via Bugs Bunny. Yeah. You know, mm. they're, they're just extraordinary movies. There's, there's also, I mean, I think the, the reminder of those films is, um, as, you know, thinking about someone like Tati, the the, the 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 fact that language is not necessarily the important thing at all. That it that, that it works on a level of visual humour and visual style and uh, kind of slapstick that is. Um, that that doesn't need a translation. Santa Chilaro said the most beautiful. I think it was the thing that stayed with me, aside from Sean McAuliffe's astonishingly astonishing red trousers that I just wanted to give a shout out for uh, to on this on this panel. Santa Chilaro made the most beautiful observation. He said, "Look, I grew up in an, a non English language speaking household. The Jerry Lewis films were just vital to my upbringing because you didn't need to have a very kind exactly. of heavy grasp on English language to understand what was going on in these films. They were, they were incredibly accessible. Well, it was think, beautiful. Uh, maybe it's not a surprise that it's actually been outside the English language world that the appreciation of Lewis as a comedian has come from mm-hmm. because that's, you know, you, you, you could 
walk into any cinema in the world and watch The Nutty Professor and fall about laughing. And um, and so, actually, beyond those American artists and comedians we're talking about, I think his influence has been truly global. And I can't think of, so, of a lot of artists in film, you know, mm. as performers and as directors that you can say that. In, in the talkies about. era, at least. In the, the silent, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, as we think of all the silent stars of comedy and, and your Keatons and Chaplins and Lloyds and such. Well, and I they, think McAuliffe made many, like he, he yeah, referenced Chaplin a lot. Mm. Um, and Harold Lloyd got a, a bit of a shout-out too. But Chaplin in particular, I think, was such a heavy influence himself on Lewis and it's it's just fascinating you know and the idea of the loser you know the kid and yeah. um you know the tramp and and the kind of Jerry Lewis persona these aren't winners but we love them there's a really interesting legacy there I think this in terms of the kind of characters that these are well I mean that's that's the thing that he's the big child and so you you respond I mean just like um Santa was saying um it's one of the earliest uh cinema that I can remember responding to just you know to to this man to sick at home yeah. from school your chicken pox or something and just you know the Ivan Ivan Hutchinson <sighs> midday movie yeah and either side of it an episode of here's Lucy <laughs> <laughs> perfect I will say I, I, you know I know it's about him as a filmmaker but I just wish we could see um, artists and models oh, on the big screen that's one of my favorites I, oh. yes I know I yeah. know Tashlin but but Tashlin's pretty good yeah, too yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Just as a little, maybe that should be a surprise greeting. Oh, I could, I could be happily surprised. Oh, look, that, that. Uh, another day I will bang on about this, but I do think there is something about what hap- there is a certain magic um, when Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin performed together. There was something about their personas that um, uh, is, is truly lovely, and it's kind of a, it is both pre-sexual and actually <laughs> deeply, yeah. deeply. Yep. Uh, erotic in another way. I just, um, I loved what those, when they were together, they kind of complemented each other in a, in a way like a great love relationship. It was an extraordinary, like a, it was a kind of really productive tension yes. between them that, that is unparalleled. I totally agree with you. I think that you find, I mean, you couldn't dismiss that as masculinity in crisis mm-hmm. because it is, but it's so functional and dysfunctional and functional and dysfunctional. It's caught in this sort of loop and it's, it just goes to gorgeous places, just really beautiful, joyful, strange, strange places. And then just really quickly, I think that's uh, one of the reasons why I will always, till the end of my life, love artists and models is that I think Shirley MacLaine enters that world and becomes... She, so suddenly the three of them are giving each other this kind of licence to be truly anarchic in, in, in desire and in, in, in comedy. Still, one, such, of my, still yeah. one of my favourite comic book movies. <laughs> she had such a good role, that woman. <laughs> All right, that is not playing at myth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have something Chaplin-esque before we go anywhere else, Alex. Or did you? Have, no, did, no, no. I just thought I, I want a, a bit of a shout out to Bruno de Mont's very surprising Slack Bay. It's getting released later in the year, but a little bit now. It is very um, Chaplin-esque. It is you know, quite bonkers. There's a lot of satire of, of uh, inbred um, upper crust folks who have an extraordinary property. Somewhere in, I suppose, the north of France, where the northerners, mussel farmers and cannibals, all of them, um, uh, are translated in Cockney. Uh, and uh, the, the film is just antic slapstick from somebody who is, we're accustomed to brutalising us from, from one film to the next, even when he had incorporated certain magic realist touches in some of his cinema. His films were 
unapologetically, unflinchingly brutal. And this film has a couple of little moments where very disquietingly it does go there and you go, oh, okay, this is still that same filmmaker, even though the rest of the time, as um, I think as Peter Bradshaw on The Guardian memorably put it, everyone in this film seems to be behaving as if they've drunk their own body weight and absinthe. <laughs> and, and really, the performance <laughs> style in this film is hysterical. That should be the tagline. That's and, wonderful. Yeah. And um, uh, Fabrizio, Lucino Luchino Fabrizio, is this his name? Uh, Italian actor, a great star, but camping it up no end and this extraordinary gait he has in it. And uh, Juliette Binoche just chewing up scenery like nobody's business. And I've never seen this before. I've never seen these actors in that mode. And that it's this particular director who brought it out of them, this Belgian brute. Um, but I did just want to uh, have one little dig at it, which uh, something that I've always... You know, naturally respond to in a, a way that's perhaps uh, a little more uh, of repulsion than many other people viewing the same sort of scene in a film, but there is violence meted out to a gender-variant character. There's this wonderful character who just keeps changing gender throughout the film, and that's sort of woven into the narrative and a lot of fun is had with it until such time as seemingly inevitably this person has to have the bejesus beaten out of them, and it's in such a way that is, it doesn't jibe with the rest of the film. It jibes with his filmography and his shock tactics generally but it, it just really put me off uh and i really love this film overall but this in this one sequence i just had to be thinking why this is actually cliche this is this is can't we move on from this it doesn't serve a narrative purpose people are generally getting harmed a lot in this film but this particular sequence is vicious and you don't sorry sorry because i haven't seen it mm. you don't think it is um intentionally so you think it's more uh, a kind of um, almost instinctual. This I've done this before, so I'm going to kind of. It's like well, a 29 palms. It does. It yeah. seems quite reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Um, like because, this is what people want yeah. for me. Well, not just that, but I mean, God, the number of times we've seen uh, a film, and this is something that plays to a stereotype out there in the world that a, uh, a trans character might be trying to trick people and not the reveal trickster. their true gender, yeah. Yeah. and therefore this will lead to them needing to be beaten up, mm-hmm. and you know. Just, a return uh, to order. Yeah, yes. and it just so that left uh, it left me with a very um, sour taste for what is otherwise a, a, a real confection, especially res- with respect to the rest of his filmography. Three triple. Ah. I'm going to give a quick shout out to my little horror. This is my little night shift plug here. Just some of my favourites that are playing, if you've got an interest in that kind of cinema, is Baskin, the Turkish gore film. Please don't tol- call it torture porn because I'll get crunky with you. It's not. It's an old-school gore film. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing, violent, wonderful film. Phantasm has been remastered, the wonderful 1979 horror film, which you must get to see. And The Eyes of My Mother, um, extraordinary English-Portuguese language film from the US that really has to see, be seen to be believed. I think it's been a really, really strong night shift program this what, year. What, what is it about that film? The Eyes of My Mother is... Uh, it's an unusual film. It's, um, I guess it's... I would describe it as a cross between The Honeymoon Killers and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, you had me at The Honeymoon Killers. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a difficult film to... I mean, that's always lazy criticism when you say it's X plus Y, but that's... But they're that, the two kind high of concept, High concept, high <laughs> yeah. But that yeah. does suggest a certain aesthetic, though. That yes. It's, yeah. Yes, it's black and white, um, and it's quite brutal and quite beautiful at the same time. So I, I would definitely give those little darlings a shout-out. Can we talk about cats? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and you, uh, there was a Turkish film, a Turkish documentary at the festival that is playing again. Uh, the, we, it got announced. They uh, announced today that it's Keddie's playing again. Um, by a director called Cheda Torun, um, and it is... Um, I went into this, I think you and I were pretty similar, Alex, I just... You know, I heard it was about cats, and I heard about it was cats in Istanbul, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to pretend that it's okay to go and see an hour and a half of YouTube videos. <laughs> that's really what that I, was my justification, yeah, precisely. That's what I thought it was going to be, but it is actually quite a. Um, uh, it's a lovely film, really, about. It, it is what it is about cats who live in Istanbul, but it also becomes and. Um, it's, it does a great um, view of that city through cat's eyes, where the, where, where the camera just follows what cats are doing. But it really is a, a film about um, community. It's a film about how people's relationships to animals says something about how we are in the world and just how we treat each other. Just that connection, yeah. just this really fundamental connection and affection. Yeah. Beautiful film. Yeah, I thought it was... P.S. Cats. P.S. Cats, yeah. And look, so if you're a cat lover, and um, it will uh, it will kind of tick every box. But it, it is uh, it is actually a serious film, beautifully made with um, a real serious in- intent. And, and, you know, one of the great joys of, um, of MIF is that you can see a film like this on the big screen. And, you know, it's it's actually quite a loving portrayal or uh, representation portrait of um, of Istanbul. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Two, we haven't mentioned many Australian films tonight, so I would very briefly like to give um, a shout-out to two just very different films but very extraordinary Australian movies. One is Rosemary Meyer's Girl Asleep that had its uh, first screening yesterday and just beautiful group of people who made that film and a really magical special film I believe um, that is playing again on Tuesday the 9th very very different movie is a documentary called The Family um, which is hard going a local story about alleged uh, a sect and the alleged abuse of a large group of children. How, how often is the word alleged used alleged, in that documentary? Alleged, people, people are still alive People, the word alleged is used a lot allegedly, mm. I allegedly will now Pass the subject to you, sorry. I haven't... Well, have I seen any other Australian films? Oh, oh yes. Uh, an anthology film, Madly, featured uh, a segment from Mia Vosikovska ah. making a directorial debut. Um, were there oh, cats? no, no, no. Because no, she, no? um, she did one of the turning. Oh, did she? Oh, she did too. So, yep. She did too. Okay. So she's becoming an anthology specialist. <laughs> an anthologist. An alleged anthologist. And, and, and who would have ever imagined that she'd be one of... Uh, an anthology film uh, directorial crew alongside Sion Sono, that Japanese maniac. Bless him. Uh, who has... Um, An alleged maniac. <laughs> alleged. No, well, actually, no, he looked like a, a very nice guy as the credits rolled and we saw some makings of um, moments. But uh, it's just a film about uh, love and other catastrophes, if you will, <laughs> mostly catastrophes. About six films, um, some other, well, some first-time filmmakers in there. The names of all the filmmakers aren't coming straight to mind, but Sebastian Silver must have been one of them. Uh, there's a few little provocations in this film. It's a nice work overall. None of the shorts are bad. Anthologies are usually pretty patchy. Uh, the first one... Uh, the first of the shots is a nice little Indian film about, well, it's really about love, but no, it's not. It's really about class and expectation and, and women having a rough trot. 
Look, one film that I am sure um, Plato's Cave is really going to um, uh, talk about a lot when it comes out, but it's an Australian film that I was very impressed by, um, uh, Joe Cinque's Consolation by Arsothenes Danukos, and it's based on the on the true uh, event, uh, a murder that happened in Canberra in the late 90s. Um, uh, I, I'm a great admirer of, um, of Helen Garner's book. It is an adaptation, and it keeps the real moral... Um, center, I think of that that book, but um, um, so Didius Danukas actually makes it, it, it its own. Um, as I said, I think you you will you will have a lot to talk about the film. Two things that really struck me about it was that it represents something about the Australia I know now. I've never seen Canberra yeah. represented. I grew up as in Canberra, Canberra, and and I had an extraordinarily strong reaction to that film. Aside from the subject matter, well, I, I lived there for two and a half mm. years, Alex, and I remember just I just had a, a super eight camera. That I was taking around and just going, I cannot believe more films aren't made. The light in that city is incredible and this film gets it. And the other thing I think there is, even though it happened in the 90s, I think some of the ramifications of that case to do with victims, the notion of the victim, the notion of culpability, the notion of class in Australia, the kind of segueing from... um, which Because I I think... uh, it's rare to see Australian films take on seriously the bourgeois class in that way. And I think Joe Cinque's Consolation does it. It's, that's one of those films I think it's going to take me months to get my head around. The director um, at the screening that I saw in the Q&A, he, he said that the, it's a film about um, a failure of community. And, and that, 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 that phrase is going to stay with me for a really long time. I think that that's the phrase that I need to really start unpacking in relation not just to that film but to where we are as a country. Um, there's so much going on in that movie. I still don't know how I feel about it. It has been, in, in a, you know, just hearing you say that, Alex, I think there is something about that, That you know, you, there is so much you see in a festival, especially when you do it the way we're doing it. We see so many films. We, you go to so many countries. You're seeing so many different kinds of genres. But, you know, there is a there is that unsettling question of um, how are we connecting and what is community in every, you know, whether I was, you know, I saw Syria, Sierra Nevada from mm-hmm. Romania, which I, which I thought was a terrific movie. And it's the same questions actually in different ways being mm-hmm. asked in that, that are in Joe Chinque's um, Consolation, yep. that are in um, far, far From Here, the uh, Venezuelan film. And yeah. even, even Down Under, which was the centip- uh, centipede gala, I mean, asking these same questions, but in very, very different ways. Um, there's a lot of films that we could talk about even more. Um, the secret screenings have been announced. They're not so secret anymore. So you get along and see things like Personal Shopper. Neon Neon Demon, Demon if you want to get on, on the hot takes. Um, mm. Lots and lots more films to see. This has been our drive-by alleged list of suggestions, I guess. And segues. Uh, segues. Uh, um, there's so much more that, you, you know, we all wanted to talk about. Definitely. But. Let's... Let's not do that. Let's go see some more movies, and we recommend that you do too. Thank you, Cerise. Thank you, Christos. Um, MIF is going until 14th of August. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.